All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another edition of Shabbat Lounge. This is Matt. And Jake here. Jake, we have a special guest. And so I'm going to just let him introduce himself by playing a little video, and you'll kind of understand where we're headed with this podcast. We're just going to jump right into it. Sounds great. Have you ever wondered what it's like to walk with dinosaurs? We're at the Paluxy River in Glen Rose, Texas, where the river is bone dry, an occurrence that only happens once or twice every decade. In front of me, I have 157 dinosaur tracks that we're going to follow. Let's go walk with the dinosaurs, shall we? All right, and so John Adolfi is with us today of Lost World Museum. Hey, John. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, we are super excited to have you join us. And so um, those of you that aren't familiar with John's work, um, he is a creation, um, would you say you're a creation scientist? I am a creationist uh, who happens to dabble in the science of creationism. Awesome. Well, we support that fully, and, <laughs> and, and we know many of our audience members do, and many of our audience members are homeschool teachers. And, you know, what would you say, do you, do you have some things that, that, that might be useful to them? Well, that's a good question. Um, first off, we should be unashamed to approach Genesis from a literal standpoint utilizing the genealogies to work backwards to find out just exactly when or approximately when, um, you know, Adam and Eve first stood on this planet, you know, how old life is on this planet and the literal creation of seven days that brought this all into fruition. It actually happened. It seems fantastic, almost impossible. We weren't there to observe it neither was Adam and Eve. They didn't see it either. They only woke up after it was done, had to take the word of God that, that he did this prior to them coming into existence. And, uh, you know, these were 24 hour periods. These weren't thousands or millions of years. And, you know, I will say this, uh, I believe the earth itself, I'm talking about the granite, you know, when people say, well, how, you know, the, the earth is 4.51 billion years old. And I say, it could be, it could be six to 10,000 years. It could be, it could be a trillion years old. We don't really know, but life itself, and I give it a little leeway, six to 10,000 years. And we came from the, you know, the loins of uh, Adam and Eve. And there was a worldwide flood 4,400 years ago in the fossil record and whatever's left over of nature. <laughs> You know, as far as what it looks like today is what we see. And so my, you know, my, my, my getting back to my original statement, don't be ashamed. Don't feel embarrassed. You know, unabashedly move forward with this idea and don't even, and you know, you're going to get criticisms and teach the children. There's nothing wrong with that. I get, I get accused of being, uh, doing hurtful things to children because of this belief, ironically enough. But it shouldn't surprise anybody the kind of criticisms that you can get from you're an idiot uh, to, you know, you're hurting children. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Yeah. And that's or, ridiculous. 
Yeah. But, uh, well, well, we appreciate that you are out there doing that. Uh, there, there's not just, you know, uh, I think there's more people waking up to it. And uh, we hope and pray that more people will wake up to this reality and, uh, and start teaching their children these things and counter, counteract all the, you know, the avalanche of material that is saying evolution and all the other nonsense that happens. Right. Well, well, we had a few questions for you tonight, and we just wanted to have you kind of briefly describe your faith sure. journey and kind of what led you led you to this point and having yeah. you create the museum. You know, how did you get here? How did this happen? Well, um, you know, in 1984, I was in the Navy, and I was what you would call an agnostic, uh, backslidden Catholic. Okay, that's how I would, you know, just a person just doing their thing in the world, you know, not trying to hurt anybody. But at the same time, not following any real moral code or or any kind of uh, God or anything, you know. And um, I was walking on the ship one day. Uh, we were homeported in San Diego. And suddenly a thought jumped into my head. This was uninvited. <laughs> this was um, there was nothing that preceded it that I could you know recall. And basically the the um, question was the Bible is the inspired word of God which is really weird because I wasn't looking for this. But truth demanded that I answer the question. So at the speed of thought, I went down the path that there is no God, there is no Bible, and what do we have? Now, I understand that I do not have a whole ton of knowledge at this point of, of anything, just what I learned in grade school and high school, middle school. And also, too, I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. I didn't have any, you know, you know, dislike towards any particular, you know, answer to the equation other than I wasn't looking to become a Christian. I did have a bias towards that as far as what I thought that meant. And it wasn't extremely favorable. But here's what happened. After I traveled down the, the road of there is no God that, the, you know, there is nothing other than what we see right here, three words popped into my head. It was so obvious. There was no hope. It was uh, it was depressing, and it was dark. And I went in the in the speed of thought to the left, so to speak, and I just visited the position that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and by default, I said the weirdest words that would ever pop out of my mouth, mind, and that is, and I know this may seem strange to some, it must be, it, it's got to be. And the reason why that was so strange was because I wasn't looking to go in that direction. But by default and um, because of my desire to know the truth, you know, and I can be fooled, but I'm just saying, though, I was open to the truth I concluded very quickly, it didn't take long, that the Bible had to be, um, you know, the source of information for life. And I mean, I didn't think of it like that at the moment, but I just said it had to be. And that's what began this journey back in 84. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, more and more it uh, seems like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of information out there now, but there's so little, uh, 
I guess you could parse it a couple different ways. You could say there's more information now, but less truth than ever. Or you could just say it's, you know, the truth has been hidden more than ever. Um, so um, when you recognize that you do have scripture to stand on as, as truth, you can, you know, it gives you a foundation. I would say the difference between 1984 and 2023 is that the access to information and the speed uh, that you can acquire information is just exponential. And, um, you know, but there were distractions back then, too. There was your UFOs and Scientology and, you know, the flat earthers had really not gotten off the ground. Not like it is right now. These last three years have been unprecedented when it comes to to that. And I'm just saying, though, that there's competing uh, theories out there. I believe there was a hollow earth at one time, you know, and I was excited about going up towards, uh, you know, the North Pole and trying to find that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, that intrigued me. A Loch Ness monster intrigued me, you know. I mean, all these things were very, are, are competing for your attention and they're compelling and they're interesting and fascinating. And and yet they're right out of your grasp. What you don't realize is that they're just outside of your grasp to nail it, to know that it is absolutely the truth. They just It just gets you just so far and then it stays that just slightly out of your reach. That's what they all have in common, by the way. I became a Christian, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist, and um, I moved back home a couple of years, about a year later. And um, started selling real estate for my father. He owned a real estate company. And so this is 1985. Um, it was in 1989 that I was just fascinated. I always was fascinated with giants and the idea of Goliath. And I always thought, wouldn't it be cool to be able to have a full life-size Goliath, you know, to be able to show around. I even drew a full-scale size one back in 92. And uh, we came up with this idea of maybe creating biblical dioramas including a full-scale uh, Goliath called Bible Land Studios. And my wife right now actually runs that uh, ministry, Bible Land Studios. And then we thought, well, I really want to meet and greet and reach the secular mind. And what I didn't realize is now I can articulate it so much better. I'm looking for the agnostic that doesn't have a chip on their shoulder. It just doesn't know, doesn't isn't a, informed about certain things. And when presented with certain things in a certain way, they perhaps would find it intriguing enough to either consider it or hop on board if they're really that, you know, interested at that moment, you know? And yeah. so, um, in, uh, in, in 2000, I commissioned Alfred Lee. He is the, uh, he's been to Mount Ararat four times. He's, uh, searching for Noah's Ark, um, in 1969, uh, they extracted wood from Noah's, uh, what could be Noah's Ark wood from Mount Ararat in the ice. Uh, he then came back in 1970 and then in 1986, he interviewed two of the most credible eyewitnesses. And because he was an archaeological illustrator, he drew their memories in front of them. And both of them lined up perfectly, exactly where the, the, the saddle is, the saddle in the, in the mountains, that is where it's at, the look of it. Both men don't know each other. Uh, George Agopian died in 72, I think it was. And Ed Davis was... Um, younger, way younger than him. He saw it in 1943. Hagopian saw it in 1902 and 1904. And uh, so I commissioned him to, and I said, Alfred, would you 
would you do the, the most accurate historical rendition of Noah's Ark in an art format? He says, I've been waiting 35 years to do it. So we took three years. And then in 2004, we launched it. We launched Bible Land Studios. We launched the painting uh, called The Invitation, uh, not to be uh, confused with The Invitation by uh, Dubois. He also came out with one with the same uh, title, same theme. And um, and so you have it. A year later in 2005, while we were contemplating a more secular name, my wife came up with Lost World Museum. And so then, um, you know, we started that as well, parallel to it. I didn't do, we, we did as much as we could with the resources we had. And then in 2010, I hired a uh, strategic business coach. And he said, let's set this down for just a little bit, the museum. Let's build your real estate practice and then come back to it. And long story short, in 2018, 19, I started to pick up the pieces again and started to get reinterested and, and started to say, okay, what can we do? Let's, let's, let's take the fragments, like Jesus said, let's put them in the basket and at least we'll have those and we can start working from there. Then in January of 2020, TikTok happened. I was turned on to TikTok by a marketer that I listened to. And I recorded my first video in April of 2020 for the museum. I tried something. I tried real estate before that. I found it very interesting. Didn't know what I was doing. But when I did one for the museum, I found it much more satisfying. So I closed two accounts on TikTok and went full board on TikTok. We've in, in three years, we've done like over a thousand videos and we've got just almost one million followers on there. So we really, really focused on that. And then over the last year, we've been focusing on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and Rumble and X and whatnot. So yeah, that's exciting to see that grow like that. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, it was a lot of work, you know, but um, we reached a lot of people and we um, we reached the people in the even in the Middle East. They're on there now more than ever. But we were we would go live five days a week and um, we would find people from all over the world, including once in a while from from the Middle East, once in a great while, uh, they would get on. So it was very satisfying, still is, you know, we're just uh, expanding and, and growing in other areas at the moment. So. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a, that's a great journey. So, yeah. well, one of the other questions I had was, I'm going to kind of jump the topic sure. slightly. So, you know, something that's always I borrowed heavily upon Carl Baugh, as we discussed earlier, I was a former classroom science teacher and I would have to teach um, earth science. And uh, I, I always tried to expose my children to the creation theory. And I relied heavily on the things that Carl Baugh described. And for, for, for someone that might be new to kind of how, you know, how would, how do you describe the, the earth, you um, in, 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 kind of creation flood time, you know, how do you describe that world as sure. quickly as yeah. easy as you can? Yeah, certainly. So the world was much different as it is today uh, before the worldwide flood. It supported life, uh, longevity. Uh, when I mean by life, I mean life abundantly, unlike anything that we've seen. Maybe we'll get little glimpses of it here and there maybe in a tropical jungle or in the forests of California where we see the redwoods, but we see, you know, just life teeming, you know, uh, this earth teeming with life. And um, the, the way that I understand it, how it's pieced together is that there were shallow seas or oceans 
more land than there is today. And the um, atmosphere was twice the, one and a half to twice uh, the uh, barometric pressure as we see today, uh, which that and along with a higher oxygen rate, anywhere between 25 to 35% versus the 20, 21% uh, that we have today, um, including a higher carbon dioxide, uh, lack of um, UVB, X-rays, gamma rays hitting us. Uh, you had eight, 900-year-old people because we started off eternal and then we fell, but we still possessed a great deal amount of vital force. And uh, as a result of that, the food, the perfect ground with the perfect ingredients that produced the food that we eat that's perfect. Adam and Eve originally were fruitarians, and then after the fall, they were uh, vegetarian vegans. And, um, you know, that lifestyle along with the earth um, gave them not only uh, gave them not only, you know, maintain the longevity, but also uh, I subscribe to the idea that we were uh, much taller, much more robust than we are today. And like people like Goliath are nothing more than just a, a throwback to a, a genetic code that we once had that we lost along with our longevity after the worldwide flood, after the flood basically decimated uh, the, the entire earth and just kind of mixed everything up. And, and it's like, it's like wonder bread, you know, they took out all those nutrients and, and then injected four, four artificial ones and then say, Hey, your bread's enriched. You know, we yeah. live in an enriched uh, earth that is not anything like it was before. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. You know, I think actually you can make an argument and, you know, evolution doesn't like this, but, you know, through time, the uh, humans are getting dumber and, yeah. uh, you know, the ancient man, Adam, you know, he was very smart and uh, very yeah. capable of maybe probably a lot more than, than what we are. I, I think there's no doubt in my mind. And, um, and also, I think that, uh, you know, because of what we know about end times and revelation and there's going to be a lot of things that catch on fire and burn on this earth. And I think since the flood, the world has, excuse me, kind of been drying out. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, I think there's just less water on the planet in general than especially in, in, Texas. Yes, for sure, in Texas. <laughs> I got a chance yeah. to feel that. Yeah, but uh, I kind of wanted to uh, uh, sure. take a little detour on on what you said about uh, uh, the idea that we initially were in this, you know, giant category. And then after the flood, we started to kind of regress into uh, shorter people, I guess. Yeah. Um, so how does that account for, um, so you have... I, I would assume Noah is a, is giant, uh, especially looking at some of your videos. You talk about how on the ark, the beds were very big. Um, and then uh, the cages were very big, things like that. Um, yeah. So after that, um, you see the line of Shem leads to the nation of Israel. And then the line of Ham tends to lead toward uh, the Canaanites. So the Canaanites are still giants, whereas the Israelites are, are not anymore. So how do you kind of explain that, that difference? Oh, there's so much mystery and so little that we have, you know, fragments of what we have. You almost have to like 
piece it together as best you can. When the conquistadors came over to Central America, South America, moved their way up to Georgia and Florida, they were um, there were still Native Americans that were upwards to 11 feet tall that they chronicled. And uh, all of the, I'm going to bounce around just a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I believe that post-Babel, when they dispersed, whether they, some of them dispersed before that, you know, just kind of decided to take off and not centralize themselves there. You know, maybe some of uh, Noah's uh, good, good people <laughs> decided <laughs> to go ahead and, and, you know, and start exploring the world early on. But, you know, Babel didn't happen that far later anyways. Right. But they were still, my understanding is they were still pretty large at that point because everywhere you go around the world, and you find the huge megalithic stones of Baalbek or uh, Stonehenge, or even when I've been down to Peru, down in Peru and Cusco, Yante Tambo, um, you know, and the like, the, the, they'll, the ancient, um, the most ancient stories, they attributed to the builders to giants. Independently, that's the case. Um, even the Native Americans of uh, the Modoc tribe, they said that the Andaluvians were um, 10 to 12 feet tall. So, you know, this stuff isn't, you know, isn't fairy tales and uh, all these legends and stuff we hear. You, you, you need to just kind of like, OK, the premise is this. Let's just say the hypothesis. Hypothesis is that when it says that giants were in the world and after uh, let's just not go to that place where they say it's some sort of weird hybrid with an angel. That we were originally the giant, giant intellect, giant, giant human of yesteryear. That was the original man and woman. Okay, so we're going to use that as a hypothesis. Now, when we look around this fragment, fragmented earth and fragmented information, especially the further back you go, you know, you, you start relying on or looking into Strabo and some of the more ancient writers you start to find little bits and pieces. Maximus was eight and a half feet tall. We have movies about him that, you know, Russell Crowe, what is he, five foot eight, you know? Right. You know, and he could do some pretty magnificent things. His foot was like a foot and a half larger than the normal man's foot. And he was able to run fast and jump huge. You just, just, just unbelievable. Uh, these giants were strong. Uh, we see that in like Angus McGaskill. He was seven foot 10, lived in Nova Scotia in the 1750s, worked for P.T. Barnum for a while. And he once on a bet picked up a 2,200 pound iron um, anchor on a, on, a, on a wharf and he walked with it until he, until he stumbled with it and hurt himself. That kind of strength was the strength that maybe we have Maybe that's the strength they had or even far greater. And that's the reason why we can see that those megalithic stones were handled so easily where we look at them today and say, how, how, how did they cut them with such precision? How did we, how did they move them in such tight places? It's because they could. I think, yeah, I, I, I think the giant theory definitely can explain a lot of that. And, uh, but once again, all of that goes against evolution and there are different theories about it. You know, the angel incursion is one, and that is one that I, I, I lean to quite a bit. Um, but, but I, but yeah, I think it's, um, it's just fascinating. Uh, you know, it's a world that we just, 
we don't we we know so little about and we're so far removed from it but you know it's one of those things where i can't wait to uh, be at the feet of 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 god and heaven and asking him uh, you know i, I want to see the video of sure. what, how you did this how that works explain yeah. explain these animals to me why did you do this what what, what yeah. were you thinking <laughs> exactly yeah. so and let me just interject this if anyone's interested in on what where i'm coming from there's one book that uh pretty much outlines what we follow as far as what what our understanding is let me put it that way and that's a book called Secrets of the Lost Races by Rennie Neuerbergen. Secrets of the Lost Races by Rennie, R-E-N-E, Neuerbergen. That's the book that I think, I believe, spells out Noah's Ark, giants, technology, and its application throughout Earth's history and the evidences that we see and has the best explanation for them, countering Eric von Donneken's theory that aliens were involved. At least he got one thing right, and that is a higher intelligence and a technology was involved that we don't have today. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he assigns aliens instead of genius giant humans. Right, right. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like your logo on your shirt with the uh, uh, the monkeys, aliens, and Adam. Apes, aliens, or Adam, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really you know uh good way to like catch someone's attention is and because it, those are kind of the three dominant religions exactly. if you will you know and, and it, sometimes when we think something's really cool or whatever you know other people just don't get it and you got to sit there and explain everything to them when i've gone out in public with the shirt on uh, i remember i was on the plane one time sitting in my seat and this black girl walks by. She had to stop for a second because everybody was loading on. She looked down. She looked up. And then she looks down. She says, nice shirt. She got it almost immediately. People get it almost yeah. immediately what it's what it means, you know. And I'm glad for that because too often, you know, like I say, we invent things and think it's really cool and geek out over it only to I find out. The only one, right? <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody understands what it means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and kind of just to piggyback off of what yeah. Matt was saying about, you know, the world doesn't tend to to look at things the same way uh, in terms of, you know, giant, uh, ancient giants and stuff like that. Um, but what's kind of interesting is even the church tends to not spend a whole lot of time on that. They, it kind of gets glossed over. Um, and so even uh, a lot of times the church people kind of scoff at that too, which, is, which I think is kind of doing a disservice to, to, you know, young earth idea, even just, I don't know if you've noticed that yourself, but yeah, you know, uh, there's a, podcasts that I tend to listen to about, uh, you know, that kind of talks about these topics and that's something that they had noticed. I'm just wondering if you'd noticed that too. I don't spend a lot of time around, you know, my daily, uh, church worship and everything, you know, I, I you know, I'm a seventh day Adventist, so I go to a seventh day Adventist church, you know? And so I don't get to rub shoulders a lot with the, the Protestant world out there of various denominations. Now, when I go down to Texas, um, and I go to the museum, uh, I meet a lot of people and we have more conversations about this topic than I will anywhere else. And um, interesting thing is this, Seventh-day Adventists are a very interesting breed as far as where they stand on this. Uh, out of the 
I don't know what it is now, 23 million Adventists in 220 countries or whatever. They're all young earth creationists that believe in giant humans, not hybrids, but giant humans in the past. Uh, the entire denomination does. So there's no fight when it comes to them understanding it or, or uh, you know, to whatever degree that they involve themselves in learning more about that. Um, I remember uh, Ben, Dr. Ben Carson, who was a Seventh-day Adventist, he, it, in 2016, when he ran for president, it got out that he was a young earth creationist. Now, this guy's a, a neurosurgeon. He yeah. separated conjoined twins at the head in a, you know, 12 hour or whatever it was, brain surgery. And he believes in a young earth and they were mocking him. Not everybody maybe remembers the, I, I do because, because I'm sensitive to that, meaning that it's, it's of interest to me, you know? Right. But yeah, he was mocked all right for, for being, for believing that, you know, what a kook. What yeah, a kook. That's, that's crazy. It is. Crazy. <clears throat> and and well, just one other thing yeah. to your point. Um, when they do discuss giant humans, I'm talking about non-Adventists. I'm talking about the rest of the world. It's always, always human hybrid angels. Always. And I understand that because that seems to be the prevailing idea, both found in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Book of, of uh, Enoch, um, in the, uh, the Talmud, um, even in the Native American legends, I've seen it in there too. So it has a very rich history of that. And I, I understand, and that is the prevailing theory within Protestantism. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if that's, if it's because it's so weird that they, you know, don't talk about it from the pulpit freely. I don't know. You know, I think it's weird because it's not talked about freely. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also think there's a lot of people out there that uh, have been, they try to justify what they've learned from man and evolution and, and combine it with, 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 with what we see in truth of scripture. And they feel this conflict and they try to combine the two things instead of realizing that one, God, one God, of them could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, that God meant what He said. You know that yeah, this is the, right. you know, and, and that you should believe God's word uh, all the time over anything man says. You know, I yeah, just I think, recently heard. That, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I just recently heard somebody make that point, and they said that for God to say in Genesis that He did it this way, and then in reality do it the other way is is so incongruous that you can't even combine the two with any degree of um integrity on the part of god yeah i totally agree with that and i think that also does lead to people who are confused and maybe maybe fall out of faith and it, it, it's very confusing for for somebody that's not grounded and doesn't do the research and you know to me it's it's what the enemy has done you know he's done that on purpose he's tried to pervert it to hide it yeah. to make it very confusing yeah i think there's this uh um i think we've been kind of the idea of what science is has switched um, I think it's turned into, well, science is the discovery of truth, whereas really science is a process of describing what Yah, what the creator created. You know, it's it's yeah. it's the process of describing 
what he made, not making up truth. I agree. You know, when we look at a ladybug, it screams, what kind of creator creates this? You know, when a, when a, when a butterfly, when a, when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it's supposed to boggle our mind to consider what, what incredible intelligence has, has done this, this creative process of transformation and whatever other object lessons we can get from it as well too. Right. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's supposed to be the evidence of a creator. Exactly. Yeah. In part, you know, I mean, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and, you know, harness electricity and stuff through science. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is the criticism that, well, if you don't like science, that's not what I said. (laughs) Stop using your microwave. Well, right. no, evolutionary science wasn't involved in the de- in the development of the microwave oven anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ben Carson separated twins conjoined at the head without any help from biological evolution, the theory. Yeah. 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 That's that's a good point. <laughs> well, and I think and especially in the world that with all the, the the things that go around and the sicknesses and the, the thing that has been such a t- topic here in the last few years, you know, so many people, they just tend to believe the, the lab coats, the scientists, the experts, I think more than they do God's word. And I think they put more hope and more faith and trust in, in some of these things than, than they should, you know, and, 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 um, you know, they're going to be disappointed because man disappoints, which <laughs> we're just not very, very honest, very truthful, uh, you know, through, through the, through the years. And, you know, they really need to put their hope, faith, and trust in, in the Lord. And it's unfortunate that, that people don't do that and have got yeah. that kind of backwards. It's true. Um, I remember talking to a, a pastor one time, he was a Hispanic and he uh, said, you know, the difference between um, Hispanics uh, in the church and and uh, Americans, you know, white Americans in the church. I said, what's that? He said, when Hispanic uh, church members are are um, visited, they want a lay person to come visit them. Whereas the Americans, they want a pastor to visit them. And, and, and I think it's this, this need, this desire to have an expert here in the United yeah. States. We need an expert. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Where would we be without experts? Exactly. <laughs> peer review. Where's your peer review? You know, Noah's Ark. Where's your peer review? Yeah. You know, there's I, a lot. Uh, of you can tell them. You know, I have I have two two or three witnesses is what I have. <laughs> well, let me let me just let me just add this, okay? Uh, a little bit about as far as my background or where I'm at with with uh, all of that. Um, I, uh, I don't have a degree. People say, well, what's your degree? I don't have a degree. And now I use that for my advantage because I'm not there to try to do battle with the intellectuals who disagree with us. That's not my mission. And that's not even my passion because I, I can only hold my own so far. And, you know, a lot of them are much smarter than I am and can kind of run around and parry and maybe jab even better than I can. And that's fine. Okay. I'm not, that doesn't that doesn't impress me or interest me. And I've heard, and another thing too, after doing this for 20 some odd years, you hear the same arguments or criticisms or or belittlements 
over and over and over again. It's almost somebody have a manual and everybody just studies it and just then repeats it. There's not hardly any original thought out there when it comes to the criticisms of, uh, of creationism. It's funny that I even came to that conclusion on my own, but it, it, it is, but I'm, you know what I am? I'm the, I'm the white collar dude. I'm the guy that goes shoulder to shoulder with the agnostic out there. That's just trying to figure it out who hasn't heard something cool enough to get their attention. That's who I am. I'm not the guy that has the degree. I'm not the guy that is the intellectual giant that is going to spar like Kent Hovind or some of these others that can do that effectively. That's not me. I'm the guy on the street. I'm shoulder to shoulder with whoever wants to hang out. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And it takes everybody, you know, on different levels. Definitely. Um, be, uh, yeah, if anybody, yeah, if anybody follows us or just kind of hangs out or whatever, you know, gets alerted by, you know, any one of our ways, we have a newsletter that we send out once in a while. And um, but get ready. We're going to have some power pack stuff coming out soon. OK, yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, one, one of the questions that I had was, you know, what do you see is the biggest obstacle in teaching the uh, column normies, the people that are, you know, that just kind of like what we were talking about that trust in the little G gods of, of this generation more than uh, more than the true God uh, of the Bible, you know, how, how do, what do you think? How, how do we reach them? What are, what's, what's the biggest obstacle to getting to them? It's getting their attention is number one. You know, they, they always say when you do a video, you got to have a hook, you know, getting their attention is important. Once we get their attention, then I hope that we have something that's logical, that warms the heart, and that's that is intensely interesting. And I believe the truth is all that. And I believe that the closer you get to what the actual truth is, the more it's going to be all those things. And I and I believe that you know it can't it won't necessarily be any one thing. Each individual is a little different. You know, some people are going to gravitate towards Noah's Ark and other people are going to find, you know, fast forming, you know, rock or fossils and the reality of that or giant human footprints they're going to find interesting. You never know. But if we can just plant some seeds so that somebody at some point can when they're when they're ready, can harvest them, then that's great. Um, One of our goals is to get people get to know us and then we find out what they're really interested in. And we have, you know, some some resources um, that we personalize and say, hey, shoot me your 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 mailing address, your best mailing address, and I'll send you something. And we do that every once in a while, but only when they ask for it or they get close enough to us to where we can perceive what that personalized thing that they would enjoy best. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think Jake talks about it a lot. And what do you say about seeds? Yeah, you can't, uh, uh, and I'm guilty of this too sometimes, is you can't just dump your whole bag of seed out in one <laughs> spot because plants don't grow like that. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in your wise to, to wait on, you know, wait on people and let them come to you. I think too many of us, we chase after people and try to force things that aren't meant to be, and um, that's, that's a good approach. That's yeah, and good. I think uh, when we follow the Messiah's example, you know, he, he threw out some seeds and the people that were interested asked him to, you know, feed him more, feed them more. So 
and he didn't chase anybody. No, I take a real laid, not laid back, but sort of a casual approach to this because I don't want to close anybody, you know, and like you say, chase them. Um, they'll come on their own. I came on with nobody approaching me. Yeah. I mean, think about that for a second. You're on your own. You're just, you know, 3000 miles away from home. You could think and, and do anything you want because you're 20, 22 years old and you, you've got the, you know, the wind by the tail and, and you, you know, you're in the Navy, you're in San Diego, best weather in the world, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. No <laughs> doubt. <laughs> and, um, and then to then become a, a Protestant Christian within a very short period of time. I mean, within months, it's like, no, I was the last person on, if I were to vote objectively, I'd be say that I'd be one of the last people on that ship that would become a Christian. Just no, not me. Uh, -uh. so yeah, he can convert. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know? yeah I, th I think uh, sometimes we get, uh, get the, you know, the pride built up saying, Oh, he needs me in order to make this happen. It's like, no, no, I th he's, he's letting you help. <laughs> That's why fly casual. It takes the, um, it takes the pressure off yourself and it also takes the pressure off for any decision, uh, that, that someone in front of you may, you know, exhibit, you know, it doesn't, it just, you, you know, I mean, there's a time and a place to get, you know, uh, where there's a strong appeal or intense intensity, but I just haven't found where that exactly is. Um, I just, like I say, I fly casual and it seems to work kind of matter of fact approach. You yeah, know? no, that makes sense. And I, I've been in the, I've been around the world of high pressure sales before and I never liked it. I never liked the things that they would ask people and the, the, the way they would pressure them. And I never thought uh, you just don't, I don't think that's the way God operates. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't do that to people. So um, he, no. he doesn't put him in a corner and, and go decide now where you're going to go. I mean, he just, he doesn't treat us that way. No. And I, you know, early on in my uh, Christian experience, I, I tried that whole thing, not knowing that I wasn't supposed to do it. It just seemed like I should, that is kind of like entrap somebody and then just, you know, press the issue. And, uh, and it was, yeah, I look back on it now and say, Oh, what were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. Well, while I have you, I also wanted you to tell us a little bit about uh, Mr. Joe Taylor. Yeah. Uh, I had the Joe Taylor giant book and I think you revised it and I, I highly recommend the original. And I just wanted you to tell a little bit about Joe and what he worked okay. on. Yeah, I don't have a copy of it right now. But what we did was um, uh, before Joe passed away, we had an agreement, he and I, to um, take his book called Giants Against Evolution. It has got to be one of the best giant books I've ever seen in my entire life. And I have read uh, or been exposed to at least six to ten different giant books. They're not very abundant, okay? Uh, you don't find too many, but... Um, he was, uh, and so anyways, we, we turned it into an ebook. So we sell the e version of it for like almost half the price of what his book, you know, would normally sell for. And so fast forward, 
and I'll show you if your audience can see this, if we do see the, but I'll tell you what it is. Uh, Valley of the Giants was the next book. I loved this book as well, too. And I got a whole bunch from the daughter of one of the co-authors. And I sold them all. And I sold the last one, I don't know, about a year ago. And I'm like going, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I want that, if not nothing more for reference. And then I got thinking, what if we were to turn Valley of the Giants into a uh, ebook? So <clears throat> first off, I got on eBay. I had to wait almost a year before one even appeared on there. Wow. And I snatched it for 20 bucks. And so here I have this book. And um, and so I contacted the, the daughter and I said, hey, um, I want to turn this into an ebook. She says, well, we don't own the rights to it anymore. Well, I said, who does? And she said, well, Dr. Carl Baugh. <laughs> <laughs> so I give I give Dr. Baugh a call and I said, hey, are you going to be reprinting this? He goes, no. And I said, well, would you mind if we did in an ebook fashion and you guys can have, a, a, you know, a, a, a file of it and you can do whatever you want with it. We'll give it away, sell it, whatever. He says, I think that sounds like a good project. So um, short story long, I got to tell you the long story because it's just kind of cool. So what we were going to do is take this apart, scan it and turn it into a PDF. You have your ebook, right? Right. Well. We were already doing a, a real estate book of mine on something called Designer. And so we decided we would take these pages and retype, re, retype all of the type so that it's all nice and clean. Right. And then we took all the 40 some odd pictures and we cut them electronically out. Then we sent it through AI and colored them as much as we could, enhanced them. And then put them back into the ebook. And now we've got this either Kindle version or a PDF version or whatever of this book that we're, uh, we pre-launched. Um, and then uh, we're going to be launching it again with a new cover very shortly. Matter of fact, um, today, <laughs> today, <laughs> um, Valley of the Giants is going to also be a paper version. We got one copy from my publisher. And I went down to Glen Rose. I didn't spend a lot of time with Dr. Carl Baugh this time around. But Saturday, uh, a week ago Saturday, I went up to him and I said, Dr. Baugh, I want you to see what the paper version looks like. Now, you see this right here? This is like uh, five by eight inches and it's all black and white. What I showed him was an eight and a half by 11, all color with this beautiful brand new cover of a giant walking through the mud of the Paluxy hmm. with a dinosaur in the foreground. And he looks at it and he goes, Oh my, <laughs> this is incredible. He says, and I says, I'm going to send you 10 copies so that you can sell them in your store. He says, we'll sell this out immediately. And I said, Oh, well, good. And I said, uh, then, then he's got the copy in his hand. Right. And then he's kind of doing this with me. <laughs> and he said, I go, did you want to give me the bag? He goes, did you want me to give this back to you? I said, well, do you want it? He goes, of course. And I said, it's yours. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. So we're we're getting, uh, we're just starting the paper copy. Okay, so let me just say this, because some of your, your listeners out there, viewers are going to wonder, well, where do I get it? <laughs> we're creating a library. 
on GiantHumans.com. That's oh, what we're awesome. doing right now. Yeah. It's also in our store on Lost World Museum, but to have a store, a library just about giant humans is too cool, you know? Yeah. And the URL is cool. So that's where you can go. And um, and just to give you a sneak peek, uh, we got the permission to uh, to do this book as well, too. This book is even going to be, in some respects, better. It's called Giant Man Tracks. Oh, wow. Ooh. Now, and again... It's we're going to retype set the whole thing. It's got photos through the whole thing, black and white, just like the other one. But instead of just AIing these with a little bit of color, the daughter sent me 400 slides of which 75% of this book is going to be uh, digitized 35 millimeter color slides from 1974. Oh, wow. That's wow. awesome. Yeah, that'll look cool. Oh. The quality is just <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, gianthumans.com. That's the only thing I'm going to plug today other than just, you know, Lost World Museum on whatever your favorite, um, you know, social media site is. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's fantastic. And we will do our best to get the word out and the message <laughs> okay. out about that. And we want uh, we want everybody in our audience to support you at Lost World Museum and go check out everything uh, you're about. Do you, You've got multiple platforms uh, you mentioned your tiktok podcast you've got a website you sell merchandise and um we just encourage people to go check it out and uh we we want more and more people to use you as a resource and and uh, as they especially as they teach their children uh, yes that, uh, that, that god's word is true and you yes. can believe it that's what we want yep absolutely jake did you have something else you were going to ask yeah it's kind of funny because i was going to ask uh what's one of the most exciting things you're working on right now or that you have in mind for the future, but you gave us like three or four things that are real <laughs> exciting. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, let me tell you, I'll give you a real, another, another sneak peek. The oh, same, right. uh, the same daughter, you'll see it on giant humans as a, uh, you can uh, get signed up for the, for the email to get alerted. So giant, giant man tracks is right now a sign up email to get alerted. And then we have another book called Man, Dinosaur, and History, which is the expanded version of this by the same author. And she gave me permission to do that. And when I was going through, and guys, I digitized all 400 slides. One minute, it took me a little over one minute for each slide. Got a $500 digitizer, put them in there, <laughs> digitized all 400 of them. And I had all these leftover ones. And I'm like going, well, what are all these two? I guess they're not to anything. So I, 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 one day I opened up giant, uh, the uh, man dinosaur in history. And all of a sudden I found all the rest of those 35 millimeter slides in that book. It's much thicker. It's going to take us more time. That's going to come out in early part of 2024. Um, one we're working on between now and the end of the year is called, um, has anybody ever heard of probably haven't J.R. Jockman's J O C K C H M A N S. Yeah. I don't think so. Jockman's was the one that did the the grunt work for the book Secrets of the Lost Races that I mentioned earlier. And he got a an attaboy in the book. When I spoke <laughs> with Jockmans, he was the one, he felt like he was owed a little bit more than an attaboy. Well, <laughs> he gave me his manuscript back in 2005. He's passed away. Um, and we're going to be republishing. Matter of fact, I'm almost done retypesetting the whole thing. And then we're going to go get Photos, the best photos of all the artifacts, uh, out of place artifacts, uh, the anomalies that he talks about in this. 
and it's going to be called um, uh, Strange, uh, Strange, uh, what is it? Strange Relics in the Earth, it's called. And that's also on, is it on Giant Humans? No, I don't think it is. But look for that as well, too. Okay. That's going to be yeah. really cool. Yeah, I definitely want to check out Giant Humans. That's uh, that's pretty fascinating. So, yeah. you know, something that I that I really enjoyed about uh, Mr. Taylor, you know, he was just a wealth of information, and his stories were pretty incredible. And, and oh. I would stop by Crosbyton when I would go see my parents, and I would take my kids with me, and you know, he would he would get on their level, and he loved seeing kids in there, and he would talk to them and ask them questions. You know, what does your science teacher say about this? And he'd say, "Well, <laughs> this is how this really works." <laughs> uh, you know, I, I loved him doing that, and you know, just uh, all this, he, he would tell all these stories about you know finding giant bones, especially with the Native Americans, and they'd find these yeah. red haired giants, and you know, there'd be articles written about them, and newspaper things would come out, and then. Mm then it all just would disappear. And, uh, you know, and then that, that, that's made it very difficult to track some of all, some of those things down, but usually it's, it's under the guise of some museum. museum. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. That's why his giants against evolution is so cool because that is, he is, he talks about giant bugs, giant mammals, giant fish, giant reptiles. I mean, he goes through the plant world and then talks about humans. I mean, he, he hits it on, all biological levels it's really good yeah 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 that's cool real quick i just wanted to jump back to uh something we were talking about with uh uh your trip to peru right the monolith there the monolith structures there yeah Um, something i noticed in one of your videos you kind of you kind of mentioned um but you didn't really go into detail about it and then i see a lot of the the naysayers put comments uh similar to uh so with the the stones being so tightly together and it looks like you know the soft the soft stone theory right um but a lot of people are saying well what if that was just uh you know ancient concrete and and that kind of thing so what's your response on that i'm still up in the air about it i'm i'm still you know um, the one theory is, is that there's a bunch of rocks and then they just plastered it with, uh, with concrete, you know, um, one is that they had huge bags and they filled it up with concrete and then just, you know, let the bags disappear or deteriorate or whatever, you know, that was another, uh, the other is, is that they were able to carve them, cut them in some way that we really have not figured out and then move them and then fit them. Oh, it's almost as if. Somebody stacked one huge rock and then then cut it out with a laser <laughs> and then you know curved it because they, they they don't just they're not flat like this a lot of them they 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 if the if the if the seam is right here between two rocks they'll come out like my my hands you know they'll come out a little mm-hmm. bit you kind know? of beveled yeah you know they come so if they come out and then back in and then they then they're butt up against you know yeah uh, Billy Caldwell, who um, is 91 years old, and he's an oil man, and he was telling me that uh, when the oil industry kind of um, was um, in disarray and he wasn't making much money, he went to doing rock quarrying. Now, he's down there in the Fort Worth area, and he told me that they built a, a bunch of things for zoos and stuff, and they would bring 20 to 50 ton stones 
to these places and then stack them or whatever. He said there was a time where we tried to get to the stones, more than two of the stones, but two of the stones to fit as tightly as he could. He's, you know, he'd been to Peru, so he'd seen what they do there. He said, John, I'll tell you something. With all of our modern machinery, with all the diamond blade um, cutting tools we had and grinders, we could not get them to flush up against each other very well. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. It is incredible. People think <laughs> that, that just men with with nothing more to do all day than just take a rope with wet sand and grind through these rocks is, is the answer. It is yeah. not the answer. No. Yeah, it's no. definitely not that. <laughs> yeah. No. No. But there it's not getting there. It's, it's not just in Peru. That tight fitting rock stuff is all over the world and it's in it's the oldest buildings, you know, is is where you find this. And it's yeah. Has it's anyone not, like cut into those rocks, like cut them in half and see what's kind of inside there? I don't think so, but I'll tell you what, I wanted to bring a metal detector. there's probably probably no metal inside and if there ever was it's probably you know completely gone but i still would like to take a metal detector and just see see if there's anything to be heard yeah this is one test that's all just out of curiosity yeah i I think we need to take one and sacrificial break it open see what's see what's going on i have a feeling inside is just like just solid rock yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. And then we're going to be like going, ah, oh, I thought maybe we might be able to solve this or at least put yeah. a little bit. No. Oh, great. Only more yeah. questions. Oh, yeah. yeah, more rock. <laughs> well, we, we want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Well, and uh, you. there's a need for it in the kingdom. And um, we and we also, we have the thing in common where we keep a seventh day Sabbath. We always yes, like to talk to Sabbath keepers who understand sure. that, uh, that we're supposed to do that. And so uh, I, I support a local co- coffee shop. I go out of my way because I drive a lot and uh, they're a seventh day Adventist coffee shop. And sure. uh, I, I make sure and support them because I don't want other people getting my money. Uh, <laughs> I, I want my money to go to people like that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, well, we appreciate you taking time to talk to us and, 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 um, and uh, Jake, you have anything else? Uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm sure we could sit here and discuss this for, for hours and hours. And, and, uh, I'm sure you have the, the, uh, you know, back the history to do that also, but, uh, um, we just appreciate you coming on and, and it's been a good discussion and we look forward to, uh, seeing, seeing some of these projects you're working on come to fruition and that's exciting to see. We're very excited about it. And uh, I appreciate you. This has been very inspirational for me personally, and I hope that it did the same for your your viewers and your listeners. All right. I appreciate it. Well, if you'll stay on the line for just a second, we've got to wait for this to finish recording. And um, but anyway, this is Matt and Jake signing out. <laughs> <laughs>